welcome to the Bridge the Divide podcast with Erica Turner and Heidi Wheeler, hosts and founders of the group Bridge the Divide Cedarburg. We hope to provide a forum for discussion and action around racial reconciliation. We seek to identify instances of inequality, foster empathy, and educate others to recognize their part in problems and solutions in Ozaki County and beyond. Thank you very much for coming back to another Bridge the Divide podcast. We appreciate you uh, listening. And today is um, the beginning of March. It's a beautiful, it's the middle of March, but it's a beautiful day. It's it's almost hard to be inside. But we're inside and we have some guests inside with us. So um, Heidi is here. Hello there, Heidi. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and our guests for today um, are from the Bronzeville Arts Ensemble. We have Michelle Dobbs and Sherry Parnett. Parnell. Sherry Williams Pannell. Pannell. There is no R. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so hello, ladies. How are you? Welcome to Great, the studio. Thank you. thank you. Yes. Can you give us a, a little bit of information about yourselves and, and what you do? Okay. This is Sherry Williams Pannell, and I am assistant professor of theater at UWM and area head for a musical theater. And I am blessed to have been a part of the theater community in Milwaukee for a very long time. Mm-hmm. In fact, my first professional theater project was when I was 16 years old. Showboat at the old theater under the stars. So theater, uh, it definitely is in my blood. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am so pleased now to serve as artistic director of Bronzeville Arts Ensemble. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Michelle, tell us about yourself. I'm a local writer. I'm thinking about Sherry like this amazing career, and this is really my first show, honestly. And I'm so glad that yes. I've been able to pair with her because she she knows what she's talking about. Right. You know, like everybody thinks they can put on a show, but they really can't. Right, right. So this has been a really cool experience. Um, I wrote a book some years ago called Conversation Over Chicken and Dumplings. Mm. Um, it starts. It's actually called The Rock Island Line, Conversations Over Chicken and Dumplings, um, because my family's from Rock Island, Illinois. Okay. And so it started having a conversation with my grandmother. I published a book about five years ago, and then Bronzeville was having this playwrights expo or playwriting workshop. It was okay. a series of classes, and I went because I thought maybe my story would translate onto the stage. Mm. Um I wrote it with my grandmother, like she was telling me about what her life was like. And so I was like kind of capturing that. And uh-huh. I was like, what other medium could we do? So uh-huh. I went to Bronzeville and um, we had a reading at the end of the series. It was probably about a six or eight week session. Okay. It ended and up being eight, eight weeks. Eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I, I just kept crafting it. I got like obsessed with it. Like, okay, so <laughs> what do they talk like? What does it look like? How would how could we actually stage that? And so I, I kept writing and then I got back to Sherry. Some years later, when I was finished, like, what do you think? And she's like, I love it. All right. And so here it is. <laughs> there you, you go. guys originally met there at the class, or yes, I was actually leading the class, facilitating okay. the the workshop, and I had uh, four budding playwrights, and we had an agreement that at the end of the workshop we would have a reading of the plays because uh, Bronzeville has actors also. Mm-hmm. And so these actors participated in the reading and which which was held at the Milwaukee Youth Arts Center because at the time I worked for First Stage. 
Oh, yeah. And so for the first stage is always so supportive of the mm-hmm. work I do. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we have the reading. And I love the way the audience responded in particular to Michelle's play. And then uh, my husband also participated and had mm. written a play that the audience really seemed to gravitate towards. Okay. So both of these plays have uh, another have another life now mm-hmm. on stage and we're so pleased to be able to present um, just a conversation over chicken and dumplings. Wow. Well, one of the one of the reasons why we were even alerted to the play was um, so for Bridge the Divide, we're talking about racial reconciliation and how many levels that encompasses. Sometimes it's it's proximity to people that look differently than you. Sometimes it's hearing the stories about folks that are different than your story. And um, I was alerted from um, Jill Gray. She's like, well, I, I know someone and I know a person that talks about sometimes it's about representation in film and you can't see in the studio now, but both Michelle and Cherry are women of color. And sometimes it's just it, it just kind of translates on the screen because you have an experience and this is part of what Michelle's story is about, her experience and her family and how else do folks hear about it if we don't tell them. So mm-hmm. this is how you're telling them. This mm-hmm. is this is good. So exciting. <laughs> yes. This is another reason why this play resonated so with um, Bronzeville Arts Ensemble mm-hmm. because we endeavor to share those stories from the African-American experience and we're looking for those stories that, as you say, I like that, bridging uh, the divide, mm-hmm. because in this story, there's a, a bridge that is um, hope, hoping to create a reconciliation. And mm. it is between the African-American community and the Native American community, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. those are the two groups that are represented in our storytelling. Oh. And also our purpose was to find actors who are of Native ancestry okay. to portray. That's what we always want to do, right. is to be authentic in our storytelling and find those people who represent those groups. And we were blessed to find those actors Oh wow! with that um, background. Okay. So now are you able to tell us some about, I guess we don't want to discourage anyone from no going to see it. No spoilers. It, but what, what can you, or can you tell me maybe some of the conversations with your grandmother that, that led up to it and then maybe some more information? Okay. My grandmother lived in Borchard Field in Milwaukee, right across from where the baseball stadium had been okay. a long time ago. And so I would go there for lunch during one summer. I was teaching class over at UWM, teaching French, and there was a big space between my classes. So instead of going all the way to my house, I would go to my grandmother's house. She would okay. fix me lunch. You know, she's like, it's time you learn how to cook. You know. <laughs> so... Um, I did, and so she's goofing around one day. She's like, I wonder whatever happened to Aunt Maggie. Whatever happened to Aunt Maggie? I'm like, why are you saying, who's Aunt Maggie? You know, it was like really interesting. And she's like, "Um, I actually know what happened to her, but I'm just thinking about what my grandmother and my great-grandmother used to say. Like, whatever happened to Maggie? And so we started talking about Maggie, and then we went to the photo albums, and then we spent the whole summer. There's like a three-hour gap in my day there. So we spent the whole summer every day, like, cooking things and uncovering our history. Mm-hmm. And it was super interesting mm-hmm. t- to me. Mm-hmm. And then I started finding all these plot twists. And I'm like, oh, Grandma, you're kind of tricky. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it got juicy, you know. Uh-huh. And so you got to wait till you're old enough. Right. <laughs> I, and I was like, maybe... I was in my late 20s at okay, that time. Okay. So I guess she figured I was ready. It's and time. She told me this story, which is what the play is based uh-huh. on. And I was like, I never considered that. Uh-huh. I never considered it. And my grandfather is native, like super native. <laughs> He's way, way back 
dozens of generations. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. And I was, um, n- we never really lived like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he lived in Borchard Field. My grandparents were married until my grandfather passed. And the only, like, clue or, like, the only way that we kind of, like, really dealt with his nativeness was all of his friends in the neighborhood called him Red, which is probably really rude. Uh-huh. It, it was okay at the time. Like, okay. that was, they could they could call him by saying red and he would answer um and uh every now and then there'd be these little things that i found weird as a kid in the city and my grandmother would explain it or my aunt jan his daughter would be like oh he's just doing that's indian ways mm-hmm. I'm like oh right okay and then i went back to being a black kid in the city uh-huh. um so when she talks about that my grandmother when she talked about that it was really interesting to start to understand her like as an individual person, a mm-hmm. woman, mm-hmm. who was in love with this Indian guy and got permission, but it was really weird. And why everybody was um, would even come in, into contact with each other was even a question, you know. What what nation is he a part of? Creek, again? Creek Indian. Okay. okay. But they lived in Rock Island, which is like the, the main... Um, hmm. You're going to have to clip this, bud. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's the main, uh, it was a, a station, like a, a, tr- a trading post. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's right on the Mississippi River. Okay. And it was, at one time, it's called Sockinock. That was like the biggest Indian settlement in North America. Mm. So like, it, they're Sock Indians, but everybody went there. Okay. So my grandfather went there. There's a f- couple blocks from his, from my grandmother's house. She was already friends with his cousin. Bang. It was, that was the end of it. Wow. When yeah. was that? That was in 19, uh, 30 something. Mm. Yeah. And now I remember I don't have, I don't have, um, indigenous blood in my history that I know of, but still sitting at the knee of my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And thankfully it was probably four or five years before he passed yeah. to be able to say, Tell me, tell me, Grandpa. Yeah. Tell me about and and his family was from Pennsylvania, so his stories were all about the coal mines oh, yeah, and yeah. and how many people lied about their age because <laughs> you were either going to go in the military, you were going to go work in the coal mines, mm-hmm. and how old you had to be and how old you had to tell him you were mm-hmm. <laughs> and to get in there. Mm-hmm. But there's there's I think there's one there's a lost art of the oral mm, traditions, yeah. right? And I think sometimes there's a lost interest. Do our children know? how much information you don't know because you haven't sat at the knee of your grandparent right. to say, tell me, tell yeah. me all. And they want to tell you. They, they want to share. Uh-huh. This is their life story. Uh-huh. So I think that we could do better at that. I don't know how, but you have to teach us how. Do they teach anything in school? Do they have any? But we I, teach by example. Uh-huh. They will follow our example. And if mm-hmm. we spend time with our elders and inquire, mm-hmm. then they will follow. Mm-hmm. They will join us. I think this is a perfect time to go to a break and let that sink in for everyone. And when we come back, we're going to ask more about the um, Bronzeville Arts Ensemble and Black Arts uh, MKE and hear a little bit more about the play. Sherry, 
we were reading about you as we thought about doing this podcast, and we need to know some more about the Bronzeville Arts Ensemble because I don't really understand what it is. And then also Black Arts MKE because you're uh, affiliate, affiliated with both of those two things. And yes. so can you just give our listeners some background? Yes, a Bronzeville Arts Ensemble was founded in 2013 uh, by eight African-American performers, actors, directors, playwrights. And we noticed at that time in Milwaukee, there was a a gap in the storytelling Mm. in in Milwaukee. We wanted to be able to see stories from the African diaspora, but told through the the talents of our local artists. Mm. So we said, well, if we, if we can't get on the stage one way, we'll find another. And that's that right. was to mm-hmm. create our own. Mm-hmm. And that's how Bronzeville Arts Ensemble um, came to be. And since then, we have not only uh, offered performances, one of which is an annual um, holiday treat, Black Nativity, oh, um, yes. Langston Hughes's oh. Black Nativity, mm-hmm. which is directed by our own Malkia Stampley. But we also seek out those stories that are uh, and opportunities to cultivate talent beyond the members of the Bronzeville Arts Ensemble, but finding out who's new in town or who are the or who are the playwrights like Michelle Dobbs, mm-hmm. uh, who are those persons who work not only on stage but work uh, in film, right. and uh, also our vo- voice talents to help cultivate that and to get the word out and since then some of our actors have gone on to do wonderful work and and i keep saying now come back now <laughs> right 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 we'll send you out of the nest but you gotta come exactly. home please come home so it's a, it's like a networking yes. collaborative um center mostly for for people of color mostly for people of color but of course uh, we in telling the story our story involves more than just the African-American mm-hmm. persons in the community. Mm-hmm. So we reach out and we have those artists who join us as, as well. Okay. How early do you start? I don't remember. I'm from Cleveland. I, I don't remember the arts in there. We had band. I remember an orchestra. I don't remember. Um, I just don't. I don't remember being invited or being a part of or being particularly interest, interested in any of the visual arts. I don't know if I saw them. So how how do you get the the kids in Milwaukee to, you know, realize that they want that dream early on? How do well, you? Well, one of the ways we do is by offering a student matinee to our performances. Okay. And oftentimes uh, our work, we have to look at uh, the story that's being told and who it's appropriate for. True. And sometimes, like with Black Nativity, that's for the whole family. Yes. Hmm. And then you'll have a piece like Chicken and Dumplings or some of the other work that we have done. We're looking at middle school on up. Be, like I said, because sometimes the stories get a little complicated yes, <laughs> yes. That, we're, that we're telling. Mm-hmm. But also... This is the first year in combination with Black Arts, in collaboration with Black Arts MKE, Brownsville Arts Ensemble is offering a summer arts experience Mm. where middle school and high school youth will create a new work, Mm -hmm. devise a work, and they'll be responsible under the guidance of professionals to create the work the costume, the mm. scenic design, and where we need some some soundscape, they'll do that also, and then offer it for two weeks to the community as performances. Oh. And all of this, just like our home with Bronzeville Arts Ensemble, happens at the Marcus Center oh, okay. for the Performing Arts in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and will um, be presented in Wilson Theater, Vogel Hall, 
at the Marcus Center. Hmm. So that's in July, right. July of this year. Okay, we'll have to make sure for uh, the Bridge community we'll get some more information um, about that out to you on our on our email list. We'll Thank have some you. of that information. Thank you. Right, and then so we have. Um, make sure I get the name right. Is it just a conversation? Over chicken. Over and chicken. Dumplings. I was going to say about over chicken and dumplings. <laughs> yeah. So that, um, I guess, may, maybe start. Can you start out with the title for me? Tell me. Sure. Tell me about that. Well, there's a moment um, in in anyone's life. I think they they use this term like it's that's just a conversation conversation over chicken and dumplings because. You've already had that chicken. You've served him roasted. You've had uh, it fried. You've had chicken salad. You've had chicken sliced with gravy. And then when you're just down to the bones and the skin and the part, you know, there's still something to be made of that. You make a broth, throw some biscuit dough in there and some vegetables, and you've got chicken there and dumplings. You go. But that is the last of it. There's nothing else to make. And so it's it's that moment where you're just like, I need to... I need to accept this uh-huh. and keep it moving uh-huh. instead of like, I, you know... Well, we could roast it next time. We could, you know. That'll work. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious about a few things. One is um, themes in the play. Yeah. And also, and you can or answer in whatever order, how the time, the summer with your grandmother changed you as a person. The 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 themes in the play, I guess, are the ones that came out in the conversation with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. It was like this forever hours and hours of conversation. But the things that I learned were... Um, Things like that, the, the the values of that community, mm. which my grandparents and parents impressed upon me and my siblings and my cousins too. Um, they're very clear about there's there's sometimes when you have to make sacrifices for people that you love. Mm. You and they were lying to people that they love, mm-hmm. thinking that was what was best for them. Mm. They would move there's no google then so all of a sudden somebody (laughs) would just move and they're like oh my gosh they're gone and there's no way to find them there's no way to one of my great-grandparents was on the most wanted list for years and what they did was move you know so like nobody there was no like system um but all of those things were done for the group for the community and i i felt sometimes when i was writing this story that like that group of people was one thing you know, like that whole organism, mm. that whole organization was one thing. And everybody's putting into it, taking out what they need to, and keeping up, almost keeping up appearances so that their kids could be okay. Mm-hmm. So that they had um, a way to be all right, a way to be fed, a way to be safe, stay out of jail, you know, those mm-hmm. kind of things. <laughs> those, are, those are important those are things. Important things. <laughs> those are, you know, it's like you're almost Core given, values. given the opportunity to step out. Yeah, side of absolutely. how you were raised and look at, it and look at it as objectively it's totally weird though and then see the way you were loved in a different light yeah yeah and and some of the decisions that they made about loving me i'm not sure i was would be on board with that if they had consulted me but you know like at the end it's a conversation over chicken and dumplings you uh-huh. know like this is what happened deal with it uh-huh. and try to be okay hmm. you know that, so that. well now doing during your um either research or preparation how how far back were you able to go in your ancestry? I know that it's always uh, it's always been something for myself and my family to say, well, who? Let's find out 
who remembers this great grandma? How many greats back is that? Yeah. Then there's always a little bit of the stigma that no matter how far back I get, I'm going to get to a slave roster maybe that doesn't have a name, yeah. that doesn't even have it, you know. But it's still something that I'm that I'm interested in doing and I'm trying to impress upon it. Were you able to learn things about your ancestry or were you, what were you able Definitely. to? Definitely. Yeah. I, I feel like I got pretty far back. Okay. Um my great grandfather, great great grandfather, was a mule tender in the Civil War, and so we have his pictures of like you know in his Civil War uniform, and he was a really young man. He also told stories about how old he was so he could get away. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wanted to fight in that war because he had a bunch of siblings who were still enslaved. He wasn't, and mm. his mom wasn't. She what she did was. She pretended to be the nursemaid for a lady who was getting away, who was bringing a baby. She was traveling with the baby. And so his mother brought him as a baby and they they vanished. Okay. Um, So I guess having those pictures and the stories and all those things really made a big difference for me. I, and because I feel you on this, you get back to a slave roster and then you disappear. Yeah. Um, Fortunately, these people, a lot of my people, were not enslaved at the time of emancipation. Okay. So this particular line of people didn't have a lot of um, ownership in okay. them. Okay, okay. Which, which let them have birth certificates and, you know, like mm. they own land and they were on the census record. So nice. it was able, I was able to find them. The funny thing about the Native American people is that they did not want to live on a reservation. Okay. And so when the census came, they're just, you know, you have fill it out yourself. And so they're like, oh, yeah, we're we're black. Put us as colored because uh. they were so afraid from the trauma. They were involved with the mission missionaries okay. in Oklahoma mm. and didn't want to be targeted anymore. Right. So they're like, yeah, we're just make us generic colored. We'll be fine. Right. Stay away. Hmm. I can't so. imagine having to make make those kind of decisions Mm-mm. about your, no. your livelihood and mm-hmm. how much trauma can I take and what right. I have to just swallow to keep moving. Right. I'm wondering if you hope that your audience can relate to the themes and see themselves in it, even if they are different, have a different story, yeah. or if you're hoping to show a story and just to show another side of something and and you're, it's not about relatability do you have um did you have something in mind when you were writing it i just when i started i just wanted to tell our story your story yeah. because well growing up in the 70s if you say my i have native american ancestry mm-hmm. the black relatives would be mad at me mm-hmm. like like be owning my nativeness meant i didn't want my blackness mm-hmm. and that wasn't the case at all right I just wanted to be free to claim that and love it. And, you know, because my grandfather was an awesome guy Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and his brothers were awesome. Like, why wouldn't I own them? Right. right. Um, So that's how it started. Mm -hmm. I just want to tell a different story. And also when when we talk about representation, it seems like the black story in America is always the same one. Like since Roots, Mm -hmm. it's always that Mm -hmm. story. And so I just wanted to tell another one. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. However, I went to different cities when the book was released and everybody, you wouldn't believe how many people would just walk up like, you know, I 
this is my cousin. Like these people that found each other and they were on their way in Atlanta. They were on their way to something like the opera. So these ladies walked up in ball gowns and I'm like, nice to meet you, you know, shaking their hands and stuff. They're like, we're cousins and we just met each other. And she read your book and she gave it to me and this and that. And it turned out like there was a, a missing brother in their family. Like every family has that sort of story. Right, right. Or like this lady was telling me their family was from Poland and... They hid in a um, a corn crib during the uh, the Holocaust. You know, mm. like they could have been taken away, but they were hiding in a thing that was meant to hold hay and vegetables. Mm. I'm like, what? Tell me the rest wow. of that story. Right. Like, everybody's got these really crazy... People go through stuff right. to survive. Right. right, And then it just gets, like, buried, like... Oh, yeah, that happened, but that's no big deal. We're here now. Right. (laughs) Oh, boy. And then it seems like you need to have a a director, someone that can help cultivate the story to get it out for folks to hear. Because it would be great if we were just in the room listening to the story, but we need a broader audience. We need more people to hear our story and be Mm -hmm. empowered to tell their stories, too. Right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a minute. So we always say that some of our best conversations happen off the air during our breaks. <laughs> and we were talking to Sherry and Michelle, and they said a term that I don't know, and I've, they've been making me wait in suspense, because Sherry said that Michelle is working as her drama, Turg. Yes. How do you spell that? D-R-A-M-A-T-U-R-G. Dramaturg. It's all one word. All one word. What is that? The dramaturg is, if you want to consider, these are our our scholars in in theater Mm -hmm. who do the research and can answer questions Mm. during, um, oftentimes working hand in hand with the director and sometimes with the playwright to help uh, answer those those questions to to help as we are working through the language of the play to Mm. to to make sure that we are. in keeping with the particular time period mm-hmm. that we're working in, answering those questions, you probably have seen a, a movie where a song is mentioned, and you're like, "Wait a second, that song did yes. not; it was not mm-hmm. even composed yes. in that decade." Yes. The dramaturg can answer some of those questions and make sure that we have continuity mm-hmm. in our storytelling as well. Okay, yeah, it's wonderful that my playwright is also the dramaturg. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> ideal, huh? Yes, it, it, it really is, and it's because of Michelle's beautiful personality, though she is humble enough to be present mm. and to not intrude in our in our process which mm. is important for the actors and for the director but at the same time she is right there for us when I say oh, help me with this or with the timeline I'm, I'm, I'm having a little, little problem with with this uh, moment can you give us a little more clarity and she has those answers ready to go do you go to the rehearsals I do oh I do and I was taught once that we're it's not appropriate for the playwright to attend the rehearsals until the final, um, okay. like the dress rehearsal, which is kind of what I was prepared for. And then this happened and it's been amazing. <laughs> so it's non-conventional, but maybe in the best way. I, I like it very much. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. I wanted to ask you something, a couple of things, Sherry, that I read that you said, and I, I would like to hear you elaborate on. Um, 
One is you talked about audience development, Mm -hmm. and I don't actually know what that means and how you develop an audience. Well, audience development really has to do with getting the word out, first of all, about your theater company Mm -hmm. or the production that you're doing. And you're looking at who is your audience. If you're producing theater for young audiences, then you're finding out where are the children, where are the families that we need to reach. Mm -hmm. If it's a a piece that is particular maybe to a, a, a culture, you really want to reach out and say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is who we are. Right now, even with um, Chicken and Dumplings, I'm still trying to reach the Native American community mm-hmm. members to let them know you're a, a portion of your story right. is being told through this family in right. this play. Right. We want you to be there, um, to, to hear. And uh, we always have a talk back that follows. Okay. So inviting these audience members in, they say, oh, this is a company that cares about my opinion and how they reach me so yes I'd like to return mm-hmm. so it's it's filling the seats it's filling the classes but making sure that we are including uh, as much of the greater Milwaukee community yes but also reaching those target audience mm-hmm. members that that we seek mm-hmm. I think about that a lot when I as a writer it's like closing the loop Yes. So you write for somebody, but if you never hear back from them, if you, if you never have the conversation about what you wrote, it's it's like the loop isn't closed. So That's it's it. it's finding your people. Yes. That yes. It, it completes the art, right? Yes, like if does. you're just doing art and you just put it out there and no one's enjoying it or no one understands it or the right people aren't there, it feels like it's missing. So absolutely. Is that typical mm-hmm. for the for the. You are the director. The, yeah, director of the play, but artistic director for Brownsville Arts Ensemble. Mm, so that's part of that role. That's a part of our, okay. our work. And this happens at every theater company. You know, there are some theater um, companies. I, I, take a, um, I think of an Optimist Theater. Um, that's Ron Scott Fry and, and Susan Fry's um, theater. It's taking Shakespeare into the community. And, and it's free. So here is an opportunity to help people to embrace this language that sounds so high and rarefied. But once you come and you see the productions, you're like, it's accessible. Hmm. So there it is, making our theater company, making Bronzeville Arts Ensemble accessible to the whole, to the total community. Hmm. And can you tell us now for, for Chicken and Dumplings, how you chose who you chose who's going to represent Michelle's story here. oh thank you for asking <laughs> because uh, of course we have some uh, members of Brownsville Arts Ensemble that are a part of the company and so they're represented by uh, Samantha Montgomery and Tasha Freeman and if you look at our productions over the past few years those names will come up again and again they're company members and they are often cast and because we have the people of Native American ancestry, I'm so pleased to have found Noah Gober, who actually was one of my students last semester at UWM, Peck School of the Arts. I kept looking at him. I said, Noah, I see something in you. And this is, I, I, I said, I, I see something in your ancestry. And so finally he said, okay, my grandfather's Menominee. And I said, but you say that like you're reluctant. He says, well, we don't really talk about that because he passed for white. Uh And he was a principal of a school. And he was able to um, have more success 
as a white person hmm. than as a, a Menominee. He's right. full-blooded right. Menominee, wow. but it's the way, and not everyone presents right. the, their, the way their ancestry um, identifies them. Hmm. So there was Noah Gober and then Mary Jo Perez, who also um, has some, some Native ancestry, through, um, but it's through South America. Okay. Hmm. But there it is. Uh, as being a Mexican and a South American, and she even she said something about some Portuguese. So all of that's mixed in there. Okay. And then I'm um, Stephen Hunter, who joins our cast, and the two children who represent the the best friends who grow up and are a like solid as a rock for one another throughout this story. Um, Sherelle Butts, a young um, performer, eight years old, oh. in our. And also Lucia Santana, who was one of my um, students at First Stage. Hmm. So all this wonderful training. And I'll just say a love of language and of people. Mm-hmm. Very talented people who are able to tell the story and tell it well. Hmm. Wow. Okay, that is just a conversation over chicken and dumplings. And you can see it. It's coming. Um <laughs> giving you plenty of time to say the dates on your calendar. Um, you can see the play in the Wilson Wilson Theater, Vogel Hall at Marcus, April 5th and 6th at 7.30 p.m. and April 7th at 3 p.m. So you've got to go to the uh, www.marcuscenter.org and get some tickets and get them soon. That's only three shows, right? So that doesn't mean they're going to be uh, endless endless time to get your tickets mm. yes that sounds sounds good. fantastic yeah and it sounds like something you have a little uh budding artist in the house I that do have uh, a little, <laughs> she uh yeah joe joe gray who yes who inter- I love joe. introduced miss joe as you we call to her. us yeah. she she said you need to try first stage because i think Marin's really gonna like it so we're we're going saturday for the first time we have we'll be there all morning for mm-hmm. intro to musical theater and I don't know. I'm, I'm so excited to affiliate with them and to learn from them. Right. Well, welcome to the family. Thank you. <laughs> I, I don't know what it takes to be a theater mom, but I'm finding can out. Can you do it? I think you can do it. Yeah. I yes. think you can do it. Yeah. Yes. Um, can you give us some, some? I don't know if they have to be about the play in particular, but for our audience, our listening audience, our target audience, hopefully there are more that are listening, mm-hmm. but our target audience is really... Um, our community, the communities that don't necessarily identify all of their neighbors, maybe some of their neighbors they identify as the other, they haven't they haven't had a relationship with them. And we think that you should be in relationship and hear the stories of so many people. So talk to talk to our our target audience there. I would really encourage you to come and experience Brownsville Arts Ensemble, see the quality of theater we present, mm-hmm. and the type of stories we tell, which help to bridge the divide mm-hmm. <laughs> between different cultures. Mm-hmm. And this one in particular, the uh, African American and Native American cultures. And remember that these are people who make up our American society and are part of our American history. Mm-hmm. And so it's worth coming and learning about mm-hmm. this one story that are just one of many. Mm-hmm. We'll take it. Thank you so much. Um, I also want to remind our listeners that uh, due to, in part due to a grant that we got from the Wisconsin Humanities Council, we are um, 
hosting a multicultural film festival. So this weekend we're showing Arranged at um, UCN here in Mequon. And um, on March 30th, we're showing Real Women Have Curves. And then on uh, April 13th, we are showing Smoke Signals. And each of those films, (laughs) each of those films, we have a, a cultural respondent who, after the film, to say, these are films that are by, about, uh, casted with folks of a certain culture who are telling their story, which we think is important. And so you need to come and attend those. We can probably find some more information on the Facebook page mm-hmm. or our Facebook page. Uh-oh. Uh, we don't have it memorized. Bridge bridge the Divide Community, I find think. It. It, yes, yeah. you should find it. You should. <laughs> You'll find it. It really go- it does come back to stories always yeah. i feel like we are always saying learn people's stories yeah because if you really knew then you you develop empathy mm-hmm. you develop um a, a broader perspective of what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes and how big our country is how big the world is your little slice is small your perspective mm-hmm. is small and we love that about stories and the arts and how that can help us all understand people better so, right. Thank you so much for coming Thanks, today. Michelle, thank, thank you Sherry. for the invitation. We're so glad to be here. <laughs>